Hey everybody, it's Jackie. And in my last episode of the Jackie Always Unplugged, I was chatting with you about God's big reveal through Mary's pregnancy. And today I want to go back to Jesus's birth story in Luke's gospel, actually to a particular phrase in Luke's story about Jesus's birth story. It's a statement I've read a million times, but this time at this season, it stopped me. Welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast, where we're having off-the-record conversations. I'm Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese, founder and president of the Marcella Project. As a pastor, preacher, and thought leader, I've walked with women of faith for decades and had thousands of conversations about what women encounter solely because they are women. At work, family, their faith, with relationships, sex, the church, their bodies, and Jesus. On this podcast, we're going to be asking hard questions, dealing with real issues, and revisiting scripture with a new lens. These conversations are going to put words to your female experience. They're going to ennoble you as Jesus intended and encourage you to bring your full self to the table. It's here we're going to reshape our view. Welcome back. Welcome back. We're in Luke 1, 28. That's the statement, the phrase. It's, it's where the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. So if you think about it, Mary was favored. And I take that to mean she was favored because she was chosen to birth the Messiah, like kind of a favored position, also a costly one. I mean, Simeon told Mary it would be so, Remember, Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to the temple, and Simeon said a bunch of really cool things about Jesus, like get the parents really excited. And then he turned to Mary and said, Oh, and Mary, a sword will pierce your soul. So favored, yep. Costly, yes. And I guess that's why I love God so much, particularly the God I find in Scripture, because I find this God to be honest about the world we live in, that it encompasses both tov and raw. That's good and bad. Krista Tibbet says it this way. The words tov and raw speak of an ultimate division in the world in general, which goes beyond moral discord. So that tov would perhaps also mean full of pleasure and raw full of pain. Tov and raw are the categories for the deepest divisions of human life in every aspect. The essential thing about them is that they appear as a pair and that in their state of division, they belong inseparably together. So I love that right here in the birth story, it speaks of Tov and Ra. But it's actually the second part of what the angel said that caught my attention. He said, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Now, I got to tell you, I decided a long time ago that if I ever got another tat, I was going to get it at Razooks. Razooks is a family-run business in the old city of Jerusalem. It's in the World Book of Records as the oldest tattoo parlor, 700 years, 27 generations. Can you imagine being the kid who goes, yeah, and I don't think I want to carry on that legacy, Dad? Anyway, I was in Israel in June, and so I went to Razooks and got a tat. With, W-I-T-H, with. 
Now, by the way, I need to mention it wasn't spontaneous. I had given it a lot of thought. I had booked it weeks before I even left the States. Unlike Steve, who got there, got so excited, and got a tat. With W-I-T-H. I had given it a lot of thought. See, because like many of you, I've been on a journey of letting go of some beliefs. Belief, beliefs are the things that we hold tightly to. We cling to them. Faith is actually the act of letting go. And I've been letting go of some beliefs inherited from my conservative evangelical tradition. I like the way Brian Zahan says it. He calls it remodeling the theological palace we built for our King Jesus. Letting go of beliefs can be disruptive and disturbing. The shift can be scary. And I know many of you know of what I speak. So interestingly, throughout my remodeling journey, one thing has stayed the same. Maybe only the one thing, but I still know, like I have always known, that God is with me. And when I say that, I'm not saying I've always felt God was with me, like I could feel it all the time. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But I have at times experienced in very tangible, visceral ways, God with me. And I suspect that for many of you, if you stopped and thought about it, you could come up with a few times you've experienced God's presence also. Epistemology is the study of how we come to know what we know. And I was trained to think that we know God by reading the Bible. And that's true. It's just it's not the only way we come to know God. I mean, God said we would know him through creation. Heck, the Bible tells us that. And God has given human beings profound rational capacities We can, if we develop them. Things like reason and intuition, relationships, community, and experience. I like how one theologian says it. He says, one could argue that there are things we can only learn through experience. Let's take athletes, for example. One can read and master all the rules and strategies and tactics of the game and not be able to play the game because only experiencing and throwing and catching and running the plays teaches one how to play. All apprenticeship programs are based on this discovery that the best learning comes through doing. Experience turns out to be one of the most reliable ways human beings come to know things. And I got to be honest with you, when I read that guy's statement, I started to hyperventilate. This is like one of those white knuckle moments for me. And by the way, that's exactly what happens to us when our belief systems are challenged. Our brains literally go into fight and flight mode as if we are being chased by a bear. But what I am learning slowly is that experience can be a good teacher. So I intellectually know that God is with me because the Bible tells me so. In Deuteronomy 31.8, it says, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And then there's the famous Psalm 23. Psalm 23.4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Isaiah 41.10, God says, Do not fear, 
for I am with you. Isaiah 43, 2 says, when you go through the deep waters, by the way, again, don't you hear how God's being so honest with us? We're going to have valleys and deep waters. And what does he say? I will be with you. And I take that to mean that God's presence is unconditional and constant. And that is something I'm learning from my Franciscan sisters. I don't know if many of you know, but I've enrolled in a two-year spiritual direction training with some Franciscan sisters. And they're just, I'm just turning the lens of everything I know. It's not changing and adding something. It's just turning the lens of Jesus so I can see some things that I couldn't see from only one strain of Christianity. And one of the things they talk about is the fact that this living God that we worship is not wrathful and punishing, one who, whose anger needs satisfaction, but rather this is a God whose extravagant love oozes out onto creation, all of creation, most profoundly seen through the incarnate Christ, the coming of Christ, and what Christ accomplished on the cross. Christ shows us what God is like. And that was another white-knuckling thing, by the way, that I had to, like, grapple with. I got to tell you, letting go, this fate thing, not always so easy. Through it all, though, I have known that God is with me because the Bible tells me so, right? I mean, yes, that's true, but also because I've experienced that. I've experienced Isaiah 43, too, literally, several years ago. It was like this hard, hard season of life, literally like seven years where I felt like I was in a boxing ring just being punched over and over again. And quite frankly, I was losing. I had broken my back. Steve had a brain tumor. My dad went nuts. I mean, seriously went nuts, tried to kill my sister. My parents got divorced. We kicked our son out of our home. I could go on and on and on. But you get the point. It was like, bam, bam. And I was what I call life fatigued. Ever been there? I know. It sucks. And one evening, I was crying out to Jesus like, I can't take it anymore. And that's when Isaiah 43 popped up like a movie scene in my brain. We might call it a vision. Some of you might get nervous by that. So we could call it a movie scene if that makes you feel safer. And in this movie scene, there was this raging river and the water was up to my nostrils, not my chest, not my chin. I'm talking nostrils, and they were half covered, which means I'm about to drown. And there, just before I drowned, Jesus showed up in the water. I see you. I'm with you. And somehow in this scene, because of his presence, and I can't explain it, somehow I got to the other side. The bank. I kind of got thrown up against the bank trying to catch my breath. I didn't have enough energy to climb up the bank, mind you, just lying there, but I was alive. And I wish I could explain this or prove this truth, right, that God's presence is with us, and sometimes we experience it in very visceral ways, but I can't. And even I have to be honest, when I hear myself say it, sometimes I think, gosh, Jackie, you sound nuts, and yet I can't deny what I've experienced I mean, perhaps the most important things we know, we come to know by way of personal relational knowing. And that, by the way, drives my engineering-minded son, Hunter, absolutely crazy. He's all about logic. So let me go on. What does the Bible say? Matthew one twenty three. 
the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means, yeah, you know this one, God with us. And then, of course, we have Luke here where he said through the angel Gabriel, right, telling Mary, the Lord is with you. And we have John 1, 14 that says the word became flesh. That's Jesus became human and made his home tabernacle among us. Later on in verse 18, John tells us that Jesus coming in the flesh, in the body, he did so so that he could reveal God to us. So God's Jesus' bodily presence makes the invisible visible. And what that tells me is that our God is a revelatory God, meaning he wants to reveal himself. He's about revealing himself to us. Romans tells us that, right? God reveals himself through creation. If we go way back to Exodus, which is the gospel story, right? The Israelites coming out of Egypt is the Old Testament gospel story. God reveals himself to Moses through this name. I am. So helpful. Avita Zornberg is a Jewish modern-day master of Midrash. I dare you to say that three times fast. Says this I am is God's revelation that he is, quote, unquote, the very principle of becoming, of allowing the possible to happen. The very principle of becoming, of allowing the possible to happen. John says that Jesus comes in the flesh and blood so that he can reveal this God to us. The incarnate Christ shows us what God is like in real time, in real space, and in real places. It's tangible. It's visceral. We experience it. We also know it because the Bible tells us so. Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says to his disciples, Surely I will be with you always to the very end of age, which doesn't make much sense since because in John 14 through 16, he told his followers he's leaving. They freak. I would too. They had given up everything to follow Jesus, their jobs, family ties, reputation, put it all on the line. Jesus is leaving. What's up with that? And then Jesus tells them for two chapters, 14, 15, and up to 16, three chapters, sorry, that the Holy Spirit is coming. He says, don't be afraid. It's so good for you that I go because then the Spirit can come. And the Spirit resides where? Scripture tells us, in us. So when I think about this, I mean, just ponder this for a moment. Throughout history, God has been working to get closer and closer to you and me. We have the tabernacle, God among us, the incarnate Christ, God with us, and the spirit of God in us. I mean, he can't get any closer than that. And so as you celebrate Christmas, I hope what you will know is that your God, my God, wants to be with us. His presence is unconditional, and it's constant. Paul called the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God. And in the book of John, the Greek word Jesus used for the Spirit was parkale, which means one called beside. Yes, I know it also means other things like legal advocate and comforter, but I want you to just ponder that picture, one called beside. You're on a stoop, and God's sitting with you. You're on a bar stool. God's sitting with you. 
You're at your in-laws for Christmas dinner. God is sitting with you. He's sitting with you and he's not judging you. He's not holding contempt. He's not in disgust. He's oozing out his extravagant love on you. Because scripture tells us God is love. God's presence is unconditional and it's constant. Whether we are naughty or nice, God is with us. W-I-T-H. So here's the thing. I've come to this stage in my faith journey, I think, at least for right now, perhaps the most quintessential way I can reflect God is by coming beside another. Let me say that again. You know how we are called image bearers, Imago Dei, right? We are to reflect who God is, right? So perhaps the most quintessential way we reflect who God is is by coming beside another. Second, first, yeah, Second Corinthians four uh, one four kind of kind of says something like this. It says basically, those who are comforted by God are to comfort. The word is parkalay others. We're to comfort parkalay others. Come beside, be with. And I think about how important. I mean, I bet just even hearing that, be with. So it's a visceral feeling for us. It's something we so deeply desire. I think about how important it is. It's it's actually essential for our mental, emotional, and physical well-being to be with others. Science is telling us that more and more. Recently, I read a book called Why Aren't We Listening? And I bought it because I want to be a better listener. And if I'm really a little honest, I wanted Steve to pick it up and read it too. He didn't listen. <laughs> okay, you got to admit that's kind of funny. Okay, so in the book, there's this study that shows when you really get, I mean really get when another person is saying, your, brave, your brain waves and those of the speaker are literally in sync. It means your brains sync. Think about that. The author goes on to say, our desire to have our brain sync to connect with another person is basic. I would add primal. It's a basic and it starts at birth. We are all waiting for it. It's how we find friends and create partnerships and advance ideas and fall in love. Carolyn Grant and I um, are going to talk a little bit about this in my next podcast. We're gonna, we're gonna, um, I'm going to do a three-part series on friendship. And I, and I want to talk to Carolyn because she's an expert in transitions. And I want to talk about what's happened to us, particularly in this um, time of coming out of a pandemic and feeling so lonely, which so many people are. We're feeling so out of sync with other people's brains. And and what does it mean to be in transition and finding new friends? And and what's causing all this? And so she's an expert in transitions, how we go through transitions in life. And so we're going to talk about that pertaining to friendships. But the point is we learned loud and clear during the pandemic that we desire to be in sync with others, to connect, to be with. It's primal. And I need to clarify because when I say be with, I don't necessarily mean to fix, solve, or even, quite frankly, lead them to Christ. These were motivators for me in my younger faith. Not so much anymore. By the way, all very good things, not bad things. Hear me say that. 
But in my older faith, I, I find myself believing more and more a little like my Franciscan sisters about God's extravagant love, that his desire for beauty that restores and goodness that heals is present. So my coming beside has little or littler to do with what I do or what I don't do because I trust in God's extravagant love to be present. And in some mysterious way, my showing up, being present with another, communicates that very truth. So I've been thinking about so many examples I want to share with you. Like, I don't know, like when my friend Willie came over to my house when I was pregnant with my firstborn son, Hunter, and I was about eight months pregnant, and he came over, and he and Steve and I sat on the floor, and we rubbed my belly, and we giggled over this idea of life that was bubbling and bouncing around inside me. Or like when Steve had to miss one of my birthdays. And so my kids kicked in. They picked wildflowers, made cakes, surprise lunches, and of course we had pizza for dinner. So much of life is about celebrating the wonders of life with others, right? Something happens when we do that together. And I don't want to negate that. That's all part of being with, is showing up when we are celebrating others. But I, I decided to share a more sobering story about Kate and Hampton. Because it hits home, it hits home this idea of with in a very dramatic way. And even if we haven't had the same experience as Kate and Hampton, and I can assure you, most of us haven't, we have all suffered. We have all been hurt and in pain and have discovered the necessity during that time of with. Like it hits home like no other time. So, here's the story. So, a few years back, I was in my car driving on my way to teach a women's Bible study when Hampton called. And you know, it was one of those calls. I could tell by his voice something was wrong, and I mean really wrong. And so, he proceeded to tell me that his friend Kate, who's one of his friends from grad school, had been stabbed. It turned out this young guy who was really high on drugs broke into her and her friend's apartment. He walked into her bedroom where she was, and then he saw her, turned back around to the kitchen. She came out and started saying, what are you doing here? When he turns around, he has a knife, and he starts stabbing her over 100 times. Her roommate hears what's happening, opens the door, grabs Kate, tries to drag her into the bedroom. She too gets stabbed, but she does finagle her in there. They shut the door. Another roommate jumped out of the window and called the police. Kate had been rushed to the hospital. Seriously, her life is on the line. Her organs have been stabbed. And Hampton and his three other roommates heard about it immediately, and they went to the hospital. They weren't allowed in Kate's room because they weren't family. So they stayed outside in the waiting room for hours and hours and hours. And finally, Hampton's roommate said, hey, look, we, we, we got to go home. I mean, they're all in middle of school, and they got to go back to class. And, and Hampton uh, said, okay, I'll take you home. And so he dropped him off, and he was really unsettled. He just wasn't okay with that. And so he called me after he dropped them off. He's still in the car. Now, you need to know Kate's mother had passed, and her father and brother weren't coming. Yeah, don't even get me started. They didn't come for weeks. Kate had no one, and Hampton wasn't going to have it. And so he said to me, Mom, I can't let her wake up alone in that room. And then he asked me this question, 
mom, should I lie and just tell him I'm her relative? Which I almost died at because Hampton has lied to me a lot and never asked my permission. But instantaneously, I was like, absolutely. You absolutely are her cousin from California. And so he turned around, went to the hospital and lied. And he stayed with Kate for a month. I mean, he moved in. Her body was struggling to live, but she was not going to struggle alone. And I love how one author says this. There is nothing romantic about suffering, but when others are present to suffering, that presence begins to tend our wounds. There is nothing romantic about suffering, but when others are present to suffering, that presence begins to tend our wounds. Now, don't get me wrong. Hampton also kicked into fixing things. He set up a GoFundMe for all of her hospital expenses, made sure the support system was covered, all that kind of stuff. He even brought boxing gloves. He hung them up and he said, Kate, you're going to fight for your life and you are going to win. And all of those things that he did, crucial, absolutely crucial. But the very first thing my son did, see, he knew, his instinct knew, (laughs) something that I'm not sure he would ascribed to the divine, but I know it's divine, he knew his first instinct was to show up because he understood that presence matters. Even if you can't fix things, they can be carried. That's our living God. There's this marvelous mystery of the divine swirling with, W-I-T-H. And when we choose to be present, however that present looks, like our being present looks, and for me, it's beginning to look more and more like just being there, not fixing, not having the answers, not holding judgment. Okay, I got to be a little honest, still judging, but really trying to be less judgmental, just with. Well, I think perhaps... That is the most profound way we can express who God is. So this week, we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. With, it means God's extravagant love is present beside us, restoring beauty and goodness to our lives. Maybe, maybe in the hurry of it, you could take a look, see if you can see, where is he? Where is God with you? And in this week, as you move about, seeking your brain to be synced, could you, would you consider that your presence is in some mysterious way telling a story about who God is and how he loves? Yeah. Merry Christmas, y'all. I'll see you in 2023. Hey, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then hop on over to themarcellaproject.com and sign up for our email or check out some of our other resources. You can also find me on the Marcella Project Facebook page or on every other platform of social media as Jackie Reese, R-O-E-S-E. Have a great day.